Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like him. I was thinking this morning, uh, thank you, those of you who are in the room, thank you for enduring the rain to be with us today, and for those of you who just decided, you know what, I'm going to sit in the cozy living room of my house in my pajamas and engage online, we are glad that you are here as well. But I couldn't help but think, especially since we are in Live Love right now, how, how I used to somewhat dread really rainy Sundays, because for years, we, we would set up and tear down. And for those of y'all who didn't endure those seasons and that kind of thing, you have no clue how much fun it was that every Friday we would spend about three hours converting random middle school gym into an awesome place of worship and those classrooms into kid spaces. And we had crews that would come in every Friday night and spend their entire Friday evening. People that would work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, drive straight from work to that middle school and set up and tear down and put up pipe and drape and lay out floor covering. And, and then we had these really, the chairs that we had weren't nearly as comfortable. Y'all couldn't sleep in those chairs like you do in these. But there were these little black folding chairs. And people used to say, how do you get people to show up over here every Friday night to do this? And I'll never forget, I had a volunteer tell me one time, Matt, I come here every Friday night because when I, I realize when I place one of these chairs, I'm, I'm not just sitting out a chair. I'm creating an opportunity for somebody to sit in it and find Jesus. But I'm grateful today we don't have to tear down in the rain. That was a setup person. Just got sanctified in that moment for, for that reality. And I, this, this version of Live Love has got me really kind of nostalgic and just thinking about all these things. And over the last few weeks, I've thought about it was a Monday morning in 2006. And I walked into my office in this small church in this little community called Seneca, South Carolina. And I walked in that Monday morning, sat down at my desk in that office, and I'm reminded, when, that off my, when I say office, it, it, was, it was actually a closet. Like the week that they hired me full time, my first two days I spent cleaning out fake flowers from what would be my office. Flowers that they would bring out for different seasons. Like literally, it was, it was a closet. The door into the closet was about this big. Like I had to go sideways to get into my office. And I'm carrying out. They had to actually cut a real door on the other side that went into the actual office. So I got a flower closet as an office. But in 2006, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting. I came in there on a Monday morning. And, and as I told you last week, there was something in me that just was unsettled. And I really didn't know why. All around me, things were going good. We had a good life. And, and Ashley and I were, were happy, and we, were, we, we had joy, and we were doing student ministry and other things. And we had actually started a, a second 
contemporary service on Sunday nights that I had the privilege of leading and preaching every week, but there was just something in me that was, that was longing for something more. And I heard a preacher say one time, never settle for less when God's given you a vision for more. And that Monday morning is when I really felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to start reading in the book of Acts. And the reality is, in seasons of struggle, Scripture is your best source for strength. Somebody needs to say amen. In seasons of struggle, Scripture is your best source for strength. Yeah, you can have, you can have great relationships and have great conversations with people that love you and will encourage you. You can, you can listen to some powerful worship music. You can show up at church. But in seasons of struggle, can I give you some advice? Dive into the Word. It is your greatest source for strength in seasons of struggle. And in that day, I remember praying, God, I feel just so unsettled, and, and I don't know why. And I turned to Acts chapter 1, and I just started reading. And I know you're like, Matt, you talk about Acts all the time. Yep. That the Holy Spirit fell and and on that day of Pentecost, Peter steps out into this crowd and preaches this gospel message so pure and so simple. And he just tells people about Jesus, that this Jesus that y'all crucified, he has come back to life. And he's changed ours. And he calls them to repent and be baptized and find new life in Jesus. And this movement of just a, f- a few hundred people at most all of a sudden becomes over 3,000. And as you read through the pages of the book of Acts, you see this really unorganized, organic, but powerful movement of God. They they don't have any of the things that, that we leverage now to bring people to Jesus. They just had this passion in their hearts for who Jesus was to them personally. And everywhere they went, they just started telling people about Jesus And as you move on from the day of Pentecost, there's a day when Peter and John are headed to the temple courts to pray. And they come across a guy who can't walk, a lame beggar, Scripture says. And he's doing what he did every day, begging for money. And Peter and John walk by, and he reaches up to ask them for money. And Peter and John are like, silver and gold we do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ... Stand up and walk. And he did. And of course, when a miracle happens like that, people take notice. Do you know that God has always leveraged the miraculous to advance his mission? God has always leveraged the miraculous to advance his mission. Did you, have you ever noticed in scripture that most of the miracles, we don't know a whole lot about the people who got healed? What we see is the aftermath of that healing. That every time there was a miracle in scripture, it it caused people to kind of lean in and wonder what this was about. That God has always leveraged the miraculous to get people's eyes and ears tuned to the gospel. That there will always be a, a need for something miraculous and powerful to cause people to stand up and take notice. And in that moment, they did. And people started getting around Peter and John and wanted to know, how did this happen? Because they had passed this man every single day. They had watched him sit there and beg. And now, all of a sudden, they have said something 
<laughs> and he is healed. And they want to know why. They want to know how this is possible. And look at Acts chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That on the other side of this miracle, all that Peter and John do once again is stand up and preach the gospel. They don't say, look what we did. We're powerful. We're great. We're awesome. They say, how did you do this? Like, what happened? How was this person healed? And once again, they leveraged that opportunity to preach the gospel. And all of a sudden, it goes from 3,000 to 5,000. That again, people start finding Jesus more and more and more, and people start to take notice. See, the Sanhedrin, the religious people, thought that when they killed Jesus, they would, they would stop this thing. And now Jesus has come back to life, and his followers are so emboldened that they're just out publicly everywhere they can telling people about Jesus. And this movement's getting out of control. It's growing and growing and growing and growing to the point where they're getting a little bit freaked out. It was one thing when, when this was just some weird ragtag carpenter who made these weird claims who had just a dozen followers or so that seemed to be really committed. And even when we put him to death, they scattered like roaches in the light. But now this thing's getting out of control because these guys who were scared of us no longer seem to be afraid. They're standing out in the temple courts and they're making these huge claims about this Jesus and we've got to do something about it. And so they bring Peter and John in and they want to know what's happening. How are they able to do these miraculous things? Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 9. And Peter says, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, fearless and relentless, bold and powerful. Here they stand before the very group that was behind the execution of Jesus. And they stand before them and say, you want to know how we did this? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you killed, but who came back to life. And then they get, they get even more. Look at verse 12. Because salvation is found in no one else, for there was no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So you want to know how we did this? You want to know how all this thing's happening? You want to know how people's lives are being changed? How people are coming to hope and how we're becoming so bold? That man named Jesus that you thought you killed, you couldn't keep him dead. Because three days later, he came back to life and we saw him and he's made us promises. And now we have this thing that you're not going to understand called the Holy Spirit living in us. And we're not scared of you anymore. <laughs> and we're going to keep telling people about Jesus. No matter what you say, no matter what happens. And they don't know what to do. Because see, when a movement of God really breaks out in a community, people don't know what to do. You might even encounter people in the Dollar Tree that refer to it as a cult. Because we've been called that. People don't know what to do 
when people start getting saved, when people get radically changed by Jesus, people don't know what to do. And so they'll criticize and they'll try to stop it. And what happens next is really interesting. They say, you can go, but stop doing all these things in that name. What's interesting is they don't even tell them to stop doing things, just in that name. Maybe it's because they knew that there was power in the name. That without the name, if they disconnected themselves from Jesus, it would be the end of the movement. If they tried to put, if they tried to make it about them, if they tried to do this in and within themselves, they knew this thing would fizzle out. And they ordered them to stop speaking in Jesus' name. But they didn't. They kept going. They kept going out into the temple courts. and They kept going out into the streets. They kept doing all the things they had been doing. They kept telling people about Jesus to the point where if you move into chapter 5, they had had enough. Look at verse 18, Acts chapter 5, verse 18. Finally, they had had enough. That they had told him, they had told all these apostles, all these believers in Jesus, if you're going to keep doing this, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be trouble. Verse 18. Finally, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. Say amen if you know you serve a God who opens doors. That was pitiful, but okay. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So they're told to stop speaking in this name, but they know they can't. Because they were there that day on that mountain when Jesus looked at them and said, now go into all the world, teaching people to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. They knew that when Jesus gave them that mission, that he also would empower them to accomplish it. And no matter what man, woman, authority they stood in front of, they knew that they had to be committed to that mission, no matter the consequence even if it meant being arrested. And I wish we had a little bit more about what was it like the day they they threw him in jail. And then they're in jail. What are they thinking? What are the emotions they're experiencing? Are they thinking that it's over? And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Don't read that like that's normal. And all of a sudden, the door is open. And the angel says, go in the temple courts. Go to the very place that's going to tick them off the most and keep telling people about this new life. And that's exactly what they did. And now these these people who are in authority, they don't know what to do with this. So they meet together again. They're like, everything we try, it just like it emboldens them more. The more that we come at them, the more that we threaten them, it's like we're just putting gasoline on the fire. What are we going to do? How are we going to stop this thing? Knowing that their own positions of power might be threatened and all these things that are happening, they're having this conversation in Acts chapter 5 trying to figure out how how are we going to stop this thing? Because it's getting out of hand. 
more and more people are finding Jesus. More and more people are putting their hope and faith and trust in Jesus. And we can't stop it. And in the middle of this conversation in Acts chapter 5, there's a guy named Gamaliel. Wise. Respected among his people. He stands up and says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 38. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. And with that, I think everybody thought, what? He says, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. He says, listen, if what these guys are trying to do is just of man, this thing will eventually fizzle out because we've seen it happen. Again, I remind you that Jesus wasn't the first one to come along and make claims. There were, there were movements that had happened all throughout history. And, all, and Gamaliel knows all of these have fizzled out. And if these are like those, eventually this one will be gone as well. Eventually this thing will fizzle out. Guys, we've watched this happen time after time. If this is of human origin, then just calm down. But if this is from God, you can't stop it. If this is from God, it cannot be stopped. From the onset of this movement, the church has had to endure adversity. I remember reading that in that little flower closet in 2006 and watching and thinking how durable the church is supposed to be. That from the very onset, there were things that threatened the movement that Jesus started. From the very beginning, the church had to endure adversity. And so now when adversity is rising up in the church in this day, we're freaking out. And I just say to you, we ain't seen nothing. Are you with me? Can we stop acting like the church is really vulnerable in this season or any more vulnerable than it's ever been? From the onset, we've had to endure and embrace adversity. From the beginning, there have been forces trying to stop the movement of Jesus, and they didn't make it happen then, and they can't do it now. From the very beginning, there have been moments that have threatened to stop the church from being who God called it to be. But they haven't only been external, they've also been internal. Because if you move into Acts chapter 6, as this movement is beginning to grow, it begins to get harder and harder to manage all of this. Look at Acts chapter 6. Pick up with verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained. Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine people in the church complaining, but just bear with me. I won't say what I was going to say next. I'm going to keep reading scripture. Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now you read that and and you don't think that was a, a dangerous moment. But it was, because how that moment was handled has been mishandled by a lot of churches ever since. The church is growing and growing and growing and growing to the point where trying to manage the needs of everybody in it became nearly impossible. And they're trying to figure out, these people have real needs. And their complaints are valid. Because these widows and these orphans and these people, in need they need to be cared for. But the leadership of the church in that day knew that if we get so consumed with taking care of the needs inside and not taking the message outside, the movement will stop moving. You with me? And that was a critical moment. Because if the apostles had given into the pressure to move inward... It would have become about them. If they didn't have the courage to say, listen, yes, we need to meet the needs of the people, but we also need to make sure we're continuing to advance the message of the gospel. If we get so consumed with taking care of each other instead of reaching other people, we've got to find the right balance here. And that's when they said, look, we have a specific assignment. Our job is to keep the message of the gospel moving into the world that God has put us in. So we need to appoint the right people to meet the needs of everybody. Because see, it's never been the pastor's job to take care of the church. It's the church's job to take care of each other. And that was a critical moment. Because you know there were people like, well, I want Peter to come to my house and pray for me. I don't want you. You know that you pray just as good as any pastor, right? You know that God hears you as much as he ever hears me. Come on. And it wasn't because waiting tables was beneath them, but they just had a different assignment. And if everybody didn't do the assignment that God had given them, then the movement wouldn't have kept moving. That from the onset, there has been an adversity that the church has had to endure to keep this thing moving forward. Then you move into Acts chapter 7, and this thing is really starting to move. And there's a man named Stephen who becomes so passionate about Jesus, he gets really bold. And he starts calling people out. He starts saying things that people don't like. He starts pointing to the religious people and telling them how much they've missed it and calling them to faith in Jesus. And he pushes them so much to the edge that they lose it and they stone him. And that doesn't mean that they picked up little itty bitty rocks. That means they would have dragged him outside the outskirts of the city and basically pummeled him with boulders. And in Acts chapter 7, for the very first time, someone is killed for their faith in Jesus. 
It took seven chapters for somebody to die for their faith. And I wonder if there were people then that moment, okay, we've tried to put them in prison. We've tried to do all these things. Maybe if, they'll see, if they see that their faith could actually cost them their life, they'll shut up. And that was a critical point in the history of the church. As the movement is still in its infancy, a few thousand people, but now they hear that, hey, this following Jesus could actually cost you your life. But look, but look what happens. It says, Acts chapter eight, verse one. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. See, church, look at me. Persecution began in Acts chapter, one, chapter eight. Actually, again, way before that, it began the moment Jesus stepped onto this planet. But look at verse four, Acts chapter eight, verse four. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That on that day when, when persecution broke out, all it did was cause the movement to move out further. That yeah, they were scattered and they went about, but everywhere they went, they kept telling people about Jesus. That yeah, now they had to be forced out of Jerusalem because the tension was so high, but it didn't stop them from continuing to preach the word. It didn't stop them from continuing to speak the truth of the gospel to people everywhere they went. From the onset of this thing, we've had to overcome adversity in order to keep this thing movement. And the reason why I say that to you is because I know that we have been in a really weird season for the last seven or eight months. And it's caused a lot of tension and friction, especially among the body of Christ. And there have been moments, can I be honest with you? There's been moments when I've wondered, is this it? Will our church make it through this? Because people can't come in the building and, and resources are limited and all these things are happening. And today I'm reminded that there's nothing the church can't endure. But I'm talking about the church. The church will endure. But whether or not this one will is dependent on what we decide to do. Are you with me? Nothing can stop the church. But this church and little C churches are falling apart all over the world and have been for years. So the question is like, why? Why was the church in the book of Acts able to endure such hardship? Why has the church, the church, lasted for thousands of years? And what will it take for this church to continue on and move forward? And it's really easy to think that it's all about creativity. That the way the church keeps moving forward is we just keep evolving. And we have. You know this church hadn't always looked like this, right? Can I, can I show you some pictures? 
I want you to see, the first picture that you're gonna see, that's, that's one of our very first Sundays. Y'all have heard me talk about the ficus trees we stole them? There's proof, there's evidence. There's just a few of us. Go back to that last picture really quickly because I want, I want to show you some things. Most of those people are still part of our church today. And you see, see the blonde-headed lady in the white shirt? Say yes. You with me? That's my mom. You see that little head sticking out over her shoulder? That's you, buddy. This is our middle school days. Southern Guilford Middle School. You can go to the next picture. That's our first worship team. Lyle and Jason Austin. Again, ficus trees, music stands, that's all we had. And as we moved towards 2009, when God was calling us to move to Randleman, the last Sunday we were there before the, one of the first Sundays we were here, we were out of money. And I thought it was over. But somehow we made it to Randleman High School, and I have no idea what that crap is hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and in Randleman High School, we just kept going, even through adversity. There were times when we had no idea, had no money, no resources, no idea how we were going to make it. Then we believed we were going to go from that school to Randleman Middle School and have to spend $130,000. We barely had $1,300 at that time. But eventually we moved to Randleman Middle School and God provided and God started doing amazing things and people started finding Jesus and people started getting baptized. And along the way, God opened a door for us to move from that building to this one. And a church that started with 12 people in a living room now sits here and I'm talking to people all over the world. Let me tell you why. It hasn't been because of our creativity. It hasn't been because of our creativity. It's because we've never wavered from our why. How the church got through that in the book of Acts was because they knew where to focus and when to be fluid. They never let anything move them off mission. Do you notice that every turn, it was still about preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. That it wasn't this, they didn't have some grand vision. And I know we live in a time where it's all about vision. We hear that all the time. Well, he just has such a great vision. Vision, vision, vision. Let me tell you something. Vision is necessary, but mission will always be primary. Why we're here will always be more important than what we do. It wasn't what they did that kept the movement movement. It's they never lost sight of why they were there. Because see, if, if, if vision, and vision is what we do. Mission is why we do it. You with me? Just so we clarify terms. If vision becomes more important than mission, you'll fall more in love with what you do than why you do it which is why 90% of the churches in America are stuck. Because we've fallen so in love with the vision 
and not stayed in love with the mission that when the vision needed to change in order to accomplish the mission, we refused to do it. Which is why we do this series. Inspiring people to live and love like Jesus is the most important line you'll ever read on that screen. That's why we're here. And yet throughout this series, we're gonna talk about vision and, and how we accomplish that mission because the how will change, it will adapt. But while we're here, it never is. Because see, if, if you set a vision without truly understanding mission, you'll go somewhere, but maybe not the place you intended to go. A great vision can fill a room, but the mission is what builds the kingdom. So when Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 16, when Simon Peter answered him like this in verse 16, Simon Peter answered to Jesus' question, who are you? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. See, I, I will build my church on the truth of who Jesus is. And as long as we stay committed to the mission, as long as we never waver from our why, inspiring people to live in love like Jesus, I, won't, I don't care what happens in the world. That no matter how adverse the circumstances, we cannot abandon the mission that God has given us. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. And it is the commitment to that mission, not some creative strategy that will make us endure for decades to come. And so I don't care what culture says. I don't care what's happening in our world. We will never change our why. We will never change our why. And as long as I'm the lead pastor of this church, I will not be moved from that mission. I will protect it, I will guard it, I will fight for it, I will endure it, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the criticism, criticism even comes from inside the church we will continue to fight for our why. But I remind you what I said last week, it can't be just the motto of the organization, it has to be the mission of every individual in it. See, we staying on our why means you staying on yours. Seeing your life and every place you step your foot as a place to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. So God, I pray that you would help us to never be moved from our mission because the moment we move from mission, the movement can't keep moving. That God, in the early church, they were able to endure all this adversity and all this hardship, not because they had a great strategy or had just this crazy creativity, but they had an unrelenting commitment to mission that God, we will not waver from telling people the gospel, preaching Jesus, preaching salvation in his name for no other name in heaven on earth by which Men must be saved. So God, help us to stay true to who we are no matter what's happening around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. 
Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.